Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussain. And we are going to discuss pediatric flatfoot today. And uh, Dr. Hussain, what do you have for us here? So pediatric flatfoot, uh, I think, is probably one of the more common things that we see in kids. Ingrowns and flatfoot deformities, I think, are probably my two highest uh, things that I see with children. Uh, typically, the parents will bring them in, talk about that they're having, you know, aches and pains, that the, the kid is running around, little Timmy's running around, uh, but he's not able to keep up with his sister. And he sits down, he rubs his feet. He's like, I'm tired, my feet hurt, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes they're tripping, they're, they're tripping, having other struggling. issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you'll hear that slappage gait, you know, that little slapping of the feet whenever they're running rather than, you know, a nice healthy gait. And they'll see, obviously, the, the flattening of the arches. Now, arch collapse or arch flattening is common in younger children, uh, depending on, you know, the, the internal and external rotation of the, the tibia. Uh, and that kind of uh, does play a part. But the general collapse of the arch is something that we do want to avoid. Um, yeah, so for for some kids, they're going to grow out of it. Yeah. You give it some time, tibial torsion kicks in, their hips move uh, into the appropriate anatomic position, and and you don't see it as, as dramatically. But then there are those that clearly it's going to be an issue for them later on. Yeah, uh, and, you know, patients will ask, you know, is he going to grow out of this? Is this something that he's going to have to deal with? His father has flat feet. You know, is this something that we should be aware of? And I'll be like, look, we'd like to treat it conservatively initially. And if we see that, you know, by the age of 10, 12, 11, you know, whatever, like once they hit puberty and the growth plates start closing and if the foot hasn't changed, then by all means, we can start talking about more aggressive therapies. So what are we seeing clinically? We'll do our exam. uh, Something that uh, some people point out, dad will be like, when he's sitting there, he's got great arches. But when he steps down, his, uh, his arch collapses. And that's because he has a classic pediatric flexible, flat foot. Mm -hmm. The joints are still healthy. There isn't any arthritis holding the joints up anymore. They're kids. They're super flexible. But when they step down, their arch is going to collapse. And this is a little test that we do. It's called the Hupshire maneuver, where we take the big toe joint and we literally elicit what's called the windlass mechanism. And we're pulling up on the big toe joint, flexing that toe up, 
and you can see the band's pull, the flexor hallucis longus pull, and it recreates that arch. And so we know that the arch is recreatable, it's flexible. You'll see that when they're, they're sitting, arch is nice and high, but when they step down, it's flat. We'll have them do toe raises. Toe raises show us that the heel is turning in, the posterior tibo tendon and the Achilles tendon are firing and supinating the foot. So we know that, you know, everything's working fine. When things aren't working fine, then we look at, you know, other problems that might be going on. So when we're looking at it clinically, uh, this is probably one of the most common things you see, right? That, that heel turning out, the ankle collapsing in. Mama's like, when he steps down, it looks like his ankles are just like flexing in so much. So what we're looking at here is literally the calcaneus, the heel bone, turning out, physically rotating out in the frontal plane, out from underneath the tibia um, and the talus. The uh, natural collapse, you know, we would like to say between zero and eight degrees of pronation, but obviously this is far worse than that. Yeah, you need that for shock absorption. You know, that's an important part of absorbing shock during gait, but when you get beyond that, then you start putting those joints in a bad position. Yeah. Uh, other things that we're looking at is the when you're looking at them from behind, you can see the too many toe signs. A simple uh, clinical exam, clinical whatever finding that we see. And mom probably catches this easy too. He's walking and it seems like his toes are walking outwards, you know. He's walking like a duck. He's waddling, whatever you want to call it. What we're seeing, you know, it's a simple thing. That foot's collapsing, that pronation, the abduction of that forefoot, uh, and the too many toe signs. You're literally walking out toe. And they do that because they're trying to avoid joints that aren't flexing the way they should. So they're walking outwards to help remove the uh, the stresses on those joints. So you're flexing off the inside of your foot. And I'm sure you see this too. I mean, as they get older, they get those calluses on the inside mm-hmm. of their foot, the big toe joint, the the, the IPJ of the hallux, the, uh, the posterior tibotendonitis. Right. They end up getting that that pull along that posterior tibotendon and it gets worse. And we talked about that in one of our other lectures. But yeah, a very, very common sign to see. And then generically, your arch collapse, you know, you're the most obvious factor, you know, the arch is literally pancake flat. Right. Imaging. So we do our physical exam, we do our range of motion exam, and we determine, you know, uh, there's a flat foot problem going on. Let's see what it's looking like on the inside, because there are things that you can mix. If it's too rigid, uh, here's a prime example of what a navicular cuneiform coalition yeah. looks like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not so common. I mean, how many do you see a year of these? Uh, it's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, a few handful. I mean, yeah. I'm literally talking like single digits. Right. And, you know, very simple, very obvious. Sometimes when the bones haven't, you know, ossified like here, we won't see them as great. And that's when we talk about getting your MRIs, your CT scans mm-hmm. to see if it's still fibrous or cartilaginous. Here, vertical talus, this is something that uh, is a congenital problem. The talus is literally subluxed under the navicular. And this is something that I don't personally even treat. I literally send it off to... We usually don't even diagnose these. They're usually caught pretty early on and yeah. and sent to the children's or Scottish Rite. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's something that you want to aggressively treat surgically and conservatively. Um, they typically do like serial castings and mm-hmm. uh, surgical intervention. And they do heal up well. I mean, there's patients that you wouldn't even realize that they had right. critical talus. And then your classic, you know, your flat foot deformity. This is a non-weight bearing x-ray, so it's not the best. Um, but here you can kind of see um, what we're looking at. Some of the bones haven't even ossified yet. You know, some of the different growth plates haven't ossified yet. So here, younger child, probably like three, four, five. And here, this is probably uh, preteen. You can kind of see some of the mm-hmm. growth plates are starting to close. Some of them are starting to ossify. But yeah, we can watch those bones pretty much grow in. It's amazing. 
So what we're looking at, me, me and uh, Dr. D, when we're looking at these kids, they come in, you know, the x-rays, the arch is collapsed. What measurements are we specifically looking at? So on the lateral x-ray, I look at two main measurements, um, your calcaneal inclination angle and your first metatarsal uh, Taylor angle or Miri's line. So calcaneal inclination, I'm looking close to 20 degrees. We have a little measuring apps on our, uh, all our x-ray machines and we want that close to 20. Here it says 18, you know, plus or minus a few degrees, uh, no big change there. Um, and then obviously your Taylor first metatarsal angle, you want that, I mean, dead straight parallel. Right. And when you see that acute change, that that uh, faulting in the midfoot. Yeah, it'll break down right here. Right. You want that line to come out straight out that first metatarsal head. So here's a, a good example of what a flat foot looks like. Right. So here, the calculated inclination angle is... Diminished. Is, yeah, it's pretty much Probably flat. I mean, six or seven degrees, yeah. maybe. Next to nothing. And you've got your calcaneus and your talus literally sitting next to each other. Yeah, that's that overlap. That's that pronation. That's mm -hmm. that hind foot turning out. So when we're getting the lateral x-ray, they're just, they're overlapping one another. That talus should be sitting on top, like here. It should be sitting right, right up on top, proud. So the other thing we're looking at is obviously that Taylor first metatarsal angle. A simple thing that a lot of people miss is that first metatarsal base doesn't come all the way back here. That's your second metatarsal base. Mm -hmm. Your first metatarsal base is this one right here the little growth plate right there and coming up proud right here. I mean, that's pretty much parallel to the ground. Right. So that faulted right there in that midfoot. Other views we're getting, top view, your AP view or DP view, wherever uh, appropriate terminology is now. Same thing, your first met uh, Taylor angle should be parallel, just like uh, your line review. And then your the other thing I'm looking at is your CC joint, your calcaneal cuboid joint. These should be parallel also. A lot of times you'll see that that foot abduct on that uh, that hind foot, and that angle gets larger and larger and larger. And the last thing, something that is easily missed, is your met abductus angle. Uh, a lot of times, when you have your skew foot or Z foot or whatever new names they you know they call them, that met abductus angle is something that you have to pay attention to because you know they'll be like, oh look, it looks looks like he has a straight foot, but his arch is collapsing. But then we'll get the imaging. That metaductus angle is is it's extreme. Extreme, yeah, yeah. Because that hind foot will be uh, oblique, will be laterally deviated. Your midfoot will be the opposite direction. Oh, sorry. Your hind foot will be, you know, medial, medially deviated. Yeah. Your your midfoot will be laterally deviated, and then your forefoot will be medially deviated. And so you get that little skew effect, and it'll falsely look like they have a normal foot structure, even though their arch is collapsed. But they'll have that that skew foot, and that's a a little bit more of an aggressive surgery to fix. So here, I think I have some x-rays of that here. Yeah, there's a classic skew foot there. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I mean, that hind foot. It's going one direction. Midfoot's going the opposite direction. Forefoot's going back. Yeah, so if you drew a line coming <clears> up <throat> that talus, I mean, that's coming out right here. Yeah. And you're like, oh, look, that's fine. But, I mean, if you look at the rest of the foot, your CC joint is abducted. Your your forefoot abduction, that's your metaductus. If they didn't have that hind foot problem, this person would be into walking, but since they're not into walking, it's easily missed. Here's an, a classic flat foot deformity right here. Your CC joint, your tailor head uncovering, that's literally subluxing out of that joint. It's stretching that, that um, the posterior tibia tendon and that spring ligament structure. Oh, this is a, uh, totally forgot this was even in here. Your, uh, your hind foot, and uh, this is great. This is showing that how much pronation or valgus effect of your heel bone uh, you can see on that x-ray it's literally yeah, that's extreme 
Yeah, it's yeah. turning out. And we, like I said, we want that closer to uh, zero to eight degrees. Some people, you know, different me measurements or whatever. Um, but uh, the valgus effect of that heel, that's that pull arm of that Achilles. And we'll, we're going to dive into that a little bit. Um, but if you imagine if the heel bone is being pulled up by the Achilles, that Achilles is going to do more pronation than supination. And you really <coughs> want that to be closer to neutral to supination. And you can see that that blue line is running through the, the center aspect of the tibia and coming way medial on the heel. So just their own body weight, gravity pulling on them is going to cause pronation Yeah, and, and worsen the deformity over time. Yeah. It's like a, like a, uh, what is it called? Those seesaws, you know, mm -hmm. if you shift that, that, uh, that apex where that, uh, it's teetering, that plays a huge factor. So that's that apex. This is the lever arm. We're pushing a little bit of force here. That's naturally going to collapse. That's why when we do our surgeries, we'll try to shift that back over, and we'll go through some uh, some procedures we do to do that. Conservative measures. So typically, we'll start off with some conservative measures, simple things, orthotics, no brainer. Uh, you classically use like the UCBL type. I'm guessing you do the same, right? Yeah, usually the over the counter prefab version because you know they're growing out of these so fast. Yeah, they're they're just gonna run through them. I mean, a few months, six months, and their shoe size. If you're a parent, you know, you're buying shoes like every few months. Right. This is great showing the, the change in the the calcaneal line outside the orthotic to using the orthotic. It really yeah. lines it up nicely. Yeah. It's a simple thing that, I mean, it's an insurance policy. You're like, look, if we can strengthen that arch, we can strengthen those tendons, make sure those tendons don't get weaker, hold that in neutral. Maybe we can avoid surgery in the future. Maybe his foot will grow out of it, you know, if. If, you're, you're realigning the joints and allowing them to continue to develop in a better position. Yeah. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Your classic UCBLs are a little bit more aggressive than your typical orthotics. They have a deep heel cup to hold that heel in neutral so that, you know, your classic orthotics are pretty shallow. These ones are very deep, deep heel cup. They have a medial and lateral, lateral flange to help hold that foot uh, from abducting. And yeah, and they're obviously going to have an aggressive arch in there to help uh, bolster that medial arch up. So those would typically work better, but they're expensive to manufacture. And yeah. if you have to have them done every six months, that gets, can get uh, cost prohibitive. Yeah. If insurance covers it, custom is definitely the way to go. Right. Typically, insurances don't cover it like that. Yeah. They'll cover maybe one a year if you have great, great insurance. Or one per lifetime. <laughs> yeah. And it's silly. And it's like, hey, right, I can try to treat this conservatively. It's going to cost you much less. Or we can do surgery, which is going to cost you a ton more. Uh, but that's not what insurance thinks. But yeah, simple, effective. Physical therapy, uh, this is something that it, it can work if you are aggressive enough in certain patients. It's not going to work in all patients, but they're strengthening the tendons, they're strengthening the foot muscles, the intrinsic muscles. These are some exercises that actually have some patients do um, when they have like plantar fasciitis. The simple uh, pulling the towel, it's a, it's a simple exercise. You're literally scrunching that towel up, you're working those intrinsic muscles so it can help kind of help support the arch little arch builder exercises you're she's eliciting that windlass mechanism it's simple things that they're not very complicated your physical therapist will go through them i do think they work in certain patients all right so if all that fails now we're talking about going in surgically this is probably the most common procedure i do in flat foot deformities it's called a subtalar arthroresis we're going in and we're changing the pitch angle of the subtalar joint to allow it to prevent that external uh, or over pronatory effect. Very simple. I mean, it's honestly, blocking motion. Yeah, it's yeah. it's literally blocking motion. Right. That's, that's such a good way of explaining that. You go in, 
we're putting a small implant in here and it's gonna physically hold it you know uh, it's like um uh, the best way to describe it is it's blocking that pronatory motion so it's keeping the talus from from declinating or dropping into that pathologic position yeah yeah simple and, effective small, and it's doing it extra incision. articularly so it's doing it outside the joint it's not destroying the joint yeah if it doesn't work, you can take them out. Yeah. Sometimes so. patients, they'll have them for lifetimes. Sometimes patients will have them for like five, 10 years. And they're like, all right, this, I can kind of feel the aches and pains of it. And it's safe to remove now. And we'll remove them because now the joints have healed up around them. that They don't necessarily need it anymore. Um, I mean, here's a prime example. I think if I remember correctly, this patient had a gastroc recession mm -hmm. and a subtalar arthrosis. I mean, That's simple, beautiful. Yeah. simple, effective. Here's the before, here's the after. I mean... It's a no-brainer type of surgery. And this is something I will do on younger patients. I'll do the gastroc and I'll do the subtalar arthrosis. And maybe I'll calc slide if they need it or not. But it's very minimally invasive and it helps. It's like your internal orthotic. Mm -hmm. uh, it works beautifully. Calc slide. So we just talked about calc slides. Calc slide is when we take that heel bone and we slide it over medially. So remember those x-rays we were looking at before where the heel bone is turned out and it's not under the, the, tail, uh, the tibia on the talus anymore? So to calc slide is you're physically sliding it over. I mean, you can do a wedge also. I typically do the slides. So we're literally physically sliding that heel bone over underneath that tibia again. Very effective. We're taking that pronatory effect of that Achilles when it's pulling, right? When the Achilles is going to pull, it's going to pull that foot flatter when you have a pronatory or your classic flat foot deformity. Um, and then when we slide it over, now we're, we're shifting close to that midline, and maybe just a little bit more. And so it's more of a supernatory effect. The only trick with calc slides in children are that you don't want to violate that growth plate. So classically, when we do them in adults, we'll use the two-screw method. You know, the, the two screws come out the back of the heel, sometimes one screw. I typically do two screws. But in children, they have a growth plate there. So if we're doing them in younger children and the growth plate hasn't completely solidified you can do the um, these fancy plates and stuff or you can use smooth k wires mm -hmm. I, I, back in the day that's what we used you know they didn't have all these snazzy plates step off plates and whatnot i mean i'm sure they use k wires also when you were training yeah we had a few plate systems that were coming on online they weren't locking plate systems but they were similar to this with the step off yeah and the purpose being to avoid that growth plate right. because they're they're going to continue to grow you don't want to you don't want to hinder their growth, you know, you don't want one for shorter than the other or. And some of these are really nice. They've got a lag screw component to them. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see this one, we've got the subtalar arthrosis and the calc slide. Mm -hmm. Gastroc, uh, well, gastroc recession, that's what I do typically. Uh, Achilles lengthening. Achilles, uh, the tendon, not the action hero, but the Achilles tendon can be short and pulling on that heel bone. So if you can imagine if you have a short Achilles tendon and their foot is in that equinus or your forefoot down, position so when it's gonna hit that ground it's gonna want to collapse because that achilles isn't allowing that motion that it needs so it's literally forcing that midfoot up and that forefoot up and what we're trying to do is avoid that that excessive force trying to take that out of the equation yeah, yeah. um so here's what your <laughs> will look like when the achilles is pulling up i mean it's literally uh, causing that that hind foot to lever that midfoot flexion uh, so typically, uh, there's three main ways that I typically will uh, lengthen in children. The Achilles, most commonly, your gastroc or your strayer stripping. It's that partial resection. We determine if it's the gastrocnemius portion or the soleus gastrocnemius portion of the Achilles tendon. 
and most commonly it's the gastrocnemius portion, and we'll lengthen it. Very simple. I do these typically arthroscopically. You can even do them open. Yeah, and the kids, I mean, they'll heal up. Scars are, I mean, you barely ever see scars in children. Right. And if there's both bands that make up the Achilles, the soleus, and the gastrocnemius portion of the muscle belly, then I'll do your Z-lengthening or your hook. More commonly, I'll do the hook and watch that fill in. Z-lengthening on like more aggressive lengthenings, like your cerebral palsy type of, of equinus type of patients. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, simple, effective. Probably I do them almost 99% of the time. Kidner. So a kidney procedure is where you take the posterior tibia tendon, the main tendon that helps supinate that arch and bring that arch nice and high. You take that tendon, you take out any ossicles or bony deformities that are injuring that tendon, and you move it more plantarly and deeper into that foot. So if it was attached here, I would take that and I would slip it in deeper and attach that to here. A good maybe, I don't know, centimeter, centimeter and a half, lower and deeper to help um, bolster that uh, that effect. And you're remodeling the navicular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you really can't see here because this thing is in the way. But what you would see is a gorilloid navicular or an accessory bone um, that would be sitting on the inside of that foot. It just um, makes it real prominent. You can see it right there. There's still a little bit of it left. Yeah, i got to figure out a way to move this thing. But yeah, what we're literally doing is realigning that, that tendon. So it pulls harder. You take the accessory bones out so that tendon doesn't get injured continually. And you're remodeling that inside so you can allow that to have. How often are you doing that procedure in by itself? Oh, never. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's pretty rare that we would do that by itself. So general rule of thumb, all you young docs out there, soft tissue procedures and flat foot deformities, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. You got, you know, whatever, 100 pounds of weight, young child, you know, uh, 80 pounds of weight, young child, whatever it might be. Coming down on a specific tendon, you, you can't expect that tendon, especially a tendon like that, to hold that arch up. Um, there's too much fighting against it. you got to do your additional procedures behind him. Typically, in, maybe in Evans. Yeah, calc slide, mm-hmm. Evans, um, arthoresis, gastroc, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, there's a whole shebang of things you can do um, to help make sure that your kidney procedure is successful. Even among my adults, I mean, yeah. I've never done this alone. I don't think anyone does them alone. Uh, Evans, perfect. There you go. Segway. <laughs> uh, so your Evans procedure is where you do a lateral column lengthening procedure. It is extra articular, so the joints are still fine. And certain adults will do them intraarticular because the joint is so shot. But more often than not, we're doing extra articular. You're doing an opening base wedge um, osteotomy here, and you're literally flexing that that lateral forefoot over towards that medial side again. Yeah, you're lengthening it to realign. Here's typical. Pre-op, you're seeing that tailor head uncovering, you're seeing that CC joint, and then post-op, you see that CC joint is nice and straight, that talus is perfectly covered. Um, I think the thing that's so amazing about that procedure now is that we're really going towards these metallic implants. Yes. And away from cadaveric bone, which is such a paradigm shift. You, you just can't imagine that you stick that hunk of metal in the foot and it's going to grow bone through it and around yeah. it and over it. And it does. It's amazing. Yeah, the way they make these, I mean, either they'll they'll look like a mesh or they'll have like a hollow center. I mean, certain ones are made out of peak and titanium and whatever. But the general purpose being is that it's it's open. So typically when I do these, I'll put like bone putty or something in there, bone chips and stuff in there, depending on what's available to me. And it'll act as a, a uh, scaffold for mm-hmm. that bone to come grow across. And then, I mean, honestly, it's pretty much part of your bone after that. You'll right. never even uh, notice it's there. 
Sometimes we'll use like a little staple or a plate or something to make sure it doesn't flex out. But most of the time, it, we used to do that to protect the cadaveric bone for sure because yeah. that could crush down. But the the but metal the implants, the 3D printed implants, you don't even need to do that. Yeah, honestly, it's it's like a uh, like a force fit, right? Friction fit. Oh, call this Evans. It's supposed to be a cotton wedge. Correction. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the the cotton to bring the medial column down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's most common way is a opening wedge where we literally are flexing that forefoot downwards. In the space I'm doing that skew foot deformity, and we're doing a modified lapidus, but we're doing that opening wedge style. Literally bring that forefoot down and mm-hmm. over, but the purpose being to bring that forefoot down to the ground again. Some people will do a closing wedge on the bottom, depending on the type of foot structure. Some people will say, I read a paper that they'll take that wedge from here and they'll put it on the flip it around. Yeah, on the the Evans wedge side. Mm. They'll take the cotton wedge and they'll use that as a graph for the Evans wedge. I mean, there's tons of ways of doing this, but the purpose being literally recreating that arch. You see that you bring that foot over, right? Sometimes you'll do the arthrosis and that forefoot will be sitting up. You're like, all right, I got to bring that back down. So now we do that wedge and bring that forefoot back down. Simple. I mean, real straightforward. And these are another ones that, you know, you're using those uh, fancy implants now that we don't think you use any of those bone wedges anymore. Recovery, recovery is the same. Uh, children are pretty quick on healing. Adults, I would say six to eight weeks non-weight bearing. Children are typically do four to six weeks non-weight bearing. And the bone is healing beautifully in kids. They heal up so fast. They'll be walking in that boot short time after that for about four weeks, roughly. And then back to normal shoes. I do typically recommend that they do orthotics after that regardless. Right. It's a simple insurance policy to make sure that arch stays nice and supported, doesn't become angry with them. And you can slip them from shoe to shoe. I mean, it's right. not like you're wearing this giant brace. So it's a simple thing that they can do. That's it as far as pediatric flat foot deformities. Excellent. That's a great before and after. So I think it's it's important to note that not everybody grows out of this. Yes. That it is okay to watch it until they're preteen yeah. age-wise. You can prevent really a world of hurt as an adult if you address it early. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think that the severe cases, you know, and occasionally you'll run into somebody who's got, who had pediatric flat foot clearly and now has an adult rigid flat foot and they do okay, but they're usually sedentary. They don't have a job that requires them to do a lot of walking. So they're fortunate, but their lifestyle changes. Right. And so, and they may have made those choices because of their feet, not even realizing it, but It's certainly something that we can uh, intervene uh, early and, and actually have a, a really positive impact for the patient for the rest of their lives. Awesome. Very good. Thanks, Dr. Hussain. That was an awesome uh, overview of pediatric flat foot. So uh, what do we got coming up? We're going to do, we're going to do another bunions. episode on bunions. Yes. On deciding how, well, which bunion surgery to do of the 14 that are out there for each individual patient. So we'll talk about that next time. So we'll see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.